0: Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy podcast. I'm Tina Pippen, one of the hosts of this podcast, along with Lucia Holsether, and we have a very distinct pleasure today to interview two professors of education. Jill Herman Wilmarth, who is professor of social foundations at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan, in the Department of Teaching, Learning, and Educational Studies. She did her doctorate at the University of Georgia, and for some of you following the podcast, you will see uh, that thread of contextualism and also a, and constructivist education, uh, along with Frere uh, all the way through. Um, our other interviewee is Professor Caitlin L. Ryan, who is Associate Professor at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington and at the Watson College of Education uh, in the Department of Early Childhood, Elementary, Middle, Literacy, and Special Education. Both Jill and Caitlin were elementary school teachers and are now teacher educators working with elementary school teachers and middle school teachers. So welcome Jill and Caitlin to Nothing Never Happens. Thank you. Thanks so much. We're excited to talk uh, about your many articles and especially about your book, Reading the Rainbow, LGBTQ Inclusive Literacy Instruction in the Elementary Classroom that was published by Teachers College Press uh, in 2018. So Lucia's got the first question.
1: you both for being here. Um, it's great to have you on the podcast. To start out, I just want to ask a kind of broad question, which is how did you come to writing this book, both the topic and, um, and the method, which is so collaborative, both um, with the, the two of you writing it together, but also with so many other teachers who welcomed you into their classrooms. Um, love to know more
2: about that. Well, I think we, we, we've been writing together for, for a long time and um, really believe that good teaching is collaborative. So it really follows that, you know, we, I think both of us, I, won't, I don't wanna speak for Caitlin, but I do think that both of us believe that um, our work is for elementary school teachers and their students. And so um, if we believe that, that teaching is collaborative and it follows, I think that, that writing would be collaborative. Um, but we came to write this because we have both spent a lot of time in elementary school cl- classrooms, both as teachers, but as researchers and in our own element pre-service elementary school teachers. Um, a lot of them think, oh, this is really important, but nobody's ever taught me how to do this. We were not trained in how to you know, include LGBTQ people in our own elementary school teaching. And we both identify as queer. And so it sort of just felt natural, I think, that oh, we can do this and we can figure it out and we can write it in a way that is accessible, we hope, to teachers, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And I think the
3: other piece of that is there's something kind of pragmatic about the collaboration as well because um, anytime you're challenging the status quo, particularly in education, it can be challenging. And definitely breaking heteronormativity and systemativity in schools um, is definitely a challenge. And so um, it's been really nice, I know I feel really honored that Jill and I have been able to form the kind of writing partnership and working partnership we have because you need that support. And so it's also nice for us to be able to model for teachers we work with, the ways that having someone who can support your work and can challenge your work and can push you in the work really helps get more done um, and can, can encourage Encourage you to keep going and can can push you farther. So, you know, especially because Jill and I both do identify as queer It's really nice having someone else who's similarly positioned who can understand some of the challenges as well
2: mm-hmm. Yes, when Caitlin calls me is this weird? No, nope, you're right. That was <laughs> that was the thing that happened Yeah, so it, it is it is helpful and the teachers that we we feel really honored that the teachers we've worked with have Invited us into their classroom and trusted us with their students. Um, yes, both of the teachers here that um, that I have worked closely with, one was a, a former student of mine, um, and Barbara, mm-hmm. and the other um, I've I've known, and she actually has taught my children, and so I it feels like um, such an honor to be welcomed in, mm-hmm. um, and you know Caitlin has a friendship, but also a, a research relationship with Marie, and Marie welcomed both of us to come, and just just learn from them and with them. And um, those collaborations continue in different ways today. Um, not mm-hmm. as intensely, but it, it has really been a joy to learn how to be a better teacher from these amazing teachers.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges uh, in terms of your own different context in both Western Michigan and Eastern North Carolina uh, that you've run across doing this, this work and, and trying to um, you know, spread the gospel of inclusion in in elementary classrooms. Caitlin, you want to start?
3: Sure. I, I'm not from Eastern North Carolina. I'm I'm actually from the Midwest. Jill and I kind of joke that we sort of switched because she's from the South and I'm from the Midwest. Oh, I live in the South and she lives in the Midwest. So again, we help each other navigate those kinds of um, those kinds of spaces as well. Um, but I, I mean, when I first got to Eastern North Carolina, I was one of the first openly gay or queer people that a lot of my pre service teacher students had ever met. Mm. That it was, or knew that they had met really, because of course they had probably met LGBTQ people, but the question is, did they know it? Um, and so when you come into a space like that, the background that people bring with them, excuse me. Um, is very different right and so what sort of people possible, um, and what people feel like is that word appropriate um, is really different than if this is something that people know that they are living every day and people that they're living with every day and so I think that was one of the challenges was just to start to help a wider range of people in a wider range of spaces see that this work is for them and it is for the students and families in their schools Um, no matter where they are, no matter what grade level they teach, really helping people see why this work is important for everyone to be
2: participating in. Yeah. Another thing that we've learned not only in our own experiences in schools but from our colleagues who have been teachers and are now faculty or who continue to be teachers is there's this mythology about that word appropriate is really interesting, right? There's this mythology about what's allowed or appropriate
0: um, mm-hmm. in different
2: contexts. And so we know teachers who have um, done LGBTQ inclusive work, read LGBTQ literature with their students, <laughs> um, and down the hall, someone's like, oh, you'll get fired for doing this. Well, really, I've been doing this for years. So it's this interesting yeah. mythology that happens. Um, and I, part of it, I think, is because we don't, we haven't been talking about this work. When you look to um, LGBTQ work in elementary classrooms, um, it's hard to find lots of empirical studies. And a lot of it I think it's because, I think there are teachers doing it, but um, we are so afraid of talking about it. Um, and of course the climate, the political climate in different mm. geographies shifts, shifts and changes. Um, of course, nationally it shifts and changes and and that determines people's fear. And you know, we mm-hmm. continue, both of us, all of our students every year, What about the parents? What do do I do with, what if my administration isn't supportive? Do I just, I mean, so there are all these same questions that have been happening. You know, I've been teaching undergraduate students now for almost 20 years and to Mm. have had those same questions over, you know, the ebb and flow of that political time in our countries and, you know, from at the University of Georgia all the way when I was a grad student all the way to here. Um. It's really interesting to me, and it just speaks to this sort of cultural mythology about what is allowed around children and um, how people think, oh, we've come so far, but I still can't do that. And, and really, how do we help teachers enter the conversation? How do we help teachers see that parents are not a monolith, right? Um mm-hmm. <laughs> administrators are not a monolith I, I do say to my students I'm a parent do you want me like imagine me when you're deciding what your curriculum is yeah. would you like me to come in and ask you why you're not doing this work mm-hmm. they don't mm-hmm. but um, so so I think that's a part of the challenge is helping to dispel the myths about what is allowed and what is not
3: mm-hmm. and, and that's really what led to the format of the book because in addition to thinking those myths about we we just can't do this, it's not allowed. Um, there's also that question of well how, mm-hmm. and I like to say is well you know how do you teach anything else right like what <laughs> we, this is teaching and this is you know in, in our case particularly literacy education or English language arts education. So uh, if you're working with kids on reading, writing, speaking, listening, viewing, visually representing right our little six language arts, how do you do that with other topics or people or identities or books or, and you can use those same skills. And so I think just showing a teacher who's doing a read aloud, even if, or, you know, the book has an LGBTQ character in it, being mm-hmm. that more visible. And so students go, oh, so you introduce the book and maybe you read it and then maybe you pause for discussion and then maybe you have kids reflect on it after to extend the meaning and then it'll sound very familiar yeah. suddenly. And, and rather than some sort of foreign, outside, just thing that they can't imagine, we just wanted to show that this is good instruction, it's good instruction for all students, and it's just about a wider range of identities than we've usually been talking about in elementary schools.
0: Yeah, and, and that's your, I think, most recent article from the May 2019 Language Arts Journal. Um mm. Allows to work for LGBTQ inclusive, critically literate classrooms where you talk about those broader issues of power and justice and fairness that kids of this age are really hooked into. Um, and I think Lucia and I both uh, are interested to hear you talk, and, and Lucia can um, tag on to this question about the the different distinction you make in the book uh, between mirror books and window books. In the classroom, and how uh, the balance between those is necessary. Uh, if you could talk about that,
2: Caitlin, you do a lovely job of talking about that.
3: Thanks. <laughs> uh, so that's an idea that we are um, we are taking and using from Rudine Sims Bishop. Dr. Um, Rudine Sims Bishop was a professor of education at Ohio State University. I think she's now professor emerita. Um, just a recent wonderful write-up about her in the Ohio State Education Magazine. If anyone wants to find that online, it was a really lovely tribute to the kinds of contributions she's made into the field of children's literature. Um, And so she was the person who really introduced this and said she was studying African-American children's literature in particular, and she was thinking through what was available and what wasn't available in classrooms historically. And so she started to notice how more black children needed books that looked like, with book characters that looked like them, right? Mm-hmm. And so, she, you know, why aren't black children reflected in the books we have in classrooms? more than they are, right? And so she's thinking, if, if you have a book where a character looks like you, you get to see yourself in a text. You get to think that books are for you. You get to think that people who look like you deserve to be in books. And you get to realize that you are not alone, right? I like to tell my pre-service teachers students, like, has anyone ever Googled themselves? Have you ever looked yourself up in a yearbook or a directory? And you go, oh, there I am, right? That feeling of being seen, of being connected, of realizing that you're not the only one of you is really, really, really powerful. And so we want to make sure that kids of all different identities have that experience where they get to see themselves reflected in text so that they know they can see other people like them navigating life and they can know they're not alone. But at the same time, if you only see yourself reflected, which is the case for a lot of our middle-class white students, particularly students who are Christian, who are able-bodied, who are cisgendered, um, then you start to get a really distorted sense of the world. You see yourself all around and it can be a little narcissistic, right? Like, oh, here I am, oh, here I am, oh, here I am, here I am. right? And that's a problem, too. <laughs> and so um, Dr. McKaigga-Overstreet actually um, is, is writing and speaking really in interesting ways now, I think, about this, the, the power for students who have more normative identities to use books as windows, right? So instead of just being reflected back, which all children do need, we also need to have books that help people see other experiences, other identities, other people. And people have talked about the power of books to do this for a long time, right? Books can take you places you've never gone. Books can open up new worlds to you. Um, And so we want to make sure that all students also have that experience of learning about other people, particularly for students who back back to them, themselves a lot, right? So if you do see yourself in the culture and the world all around you, how can you make sure that you're learning through books about the experiences and perspectives of other people and just making sure that all students have both of those experiences
0: in their texts?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, in, the, in your book, you give a lot of examples. Um, maybe you could give a couple of examples to illustrate how that works in the classroom. Yeah, Jill, do you wanna? Share some of the so, books that- I mean, I think, yeah,
2: so some of the books, I mean, I think of, um, of the, the work that I did in a, with Rose, the teacher in a fourth and fifth grade classroom. And um, we spent a year, well, I spent two years with her fourth and fifth graders, but we spent a year really thinking about um, gender and what that, how that's represented in text, but how, you know, what that means for how they understand who they are. Um, and so, one of the books that that a favorite book that we read was uh, George by know um, The protagonist mm-hmm. Melissa is um, fourth grade transgender child, and she her experiences. Um, I think the 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 students in the class just love the book. All of them identified at the time as cisgender, um, and th- they love the characters of the book. But they also um, like it was, they, they we had been studying gender all year. We've been studying, um, sort of thinking about gender and sexuality, both about, you know, what does it mean to be gay or lesbian? What does it mean to, um, what is the difference between transgender and cisgender and having some of those conversations? And I can sort of talk about that instructional practice also, mm-hmm. but, um, and, they, and they had started, it was the same year that um, the Obama administration put forth the Dear Colleague letter that, um that suggested that um, k-12 education make um, schools accessible fully to trans students so that they would mm-hmm. be able to use the bathroom to match their, their gender identity. So all of this is coming along as we're as we're reading this book. Um, and there's a part actually there's a part in the book where um, Melissa is is in a, in a play about Charlotte's Web, and and she had wanted to try out for Charlotte, and her teacher had said, "Well, only girls can try out for Charlotte." Mm-hmm. So she and her best friend come up with this plot to, in one performance, her best friend Kelly will be Charlotte, in the next performance, um, Melissa, who is um, not known as Melissa to school, um, right. will be Charlotte, mm-hmm. and and it really upsets the teacher, who um, mm-hmm. obviously has some 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 phobia issues and and at one point the principal comes up to the teacher and whispers to the teacher something and is very supportive of Melissa um, sort of in this moment. And so we stopped reading um, and we said to the class, well, what do you think the principal said to the teacher? And so this is a class that's really been thinking about gender and race and all, all of these things we've been talking about so in-depth and reading all of these books. And one student said, oh, I just think she said, um, George is transgender. And I said, huh, do you think she whispered that big thing in that moment? Right. And so here we are reading a window book and this particular, you know, young white girl who has not had a lot of experiences that don't support who she is or what her identities are, or even her sort of um, young feminism, right, thinks, oh, well, if she just knew, it would be so easy. And so you think, oh, I've got this window book, here she is learning. But it, how do you help students really see that in that moment, that might not be the right thing to do, right? Like that that principle is not just mm-hmm. outing the student. And We had people, we had a a member of our community come in and talk about, you know, the Dear Colleague letter and the laws that were happening at the same time, and Mm -hmm. um, we had students read articles about actually what happens to students, and so when they could relate how the larger world, because they don't feel like they're transgender, they feel like, oh, any transgender person would be welcome in our classroom when they could relate this window book and this character who they fell in love with, of Melissa, to all of these other pieces of the world, then they started to have a deeper understanding, right? So if you're hearing things in the news or little snippets of ideas, um, and you and then you get to read this fiction book, and then you have teachers who support your learning and your understanding to bring all of those things together. It um, can really be transformative in your understanding of what the what an identity characteristic might mean or an identity might mean to live in the world, right? Of course, you're never gonna have that full understanding, but to create empathy, one time, a long time ago, Caitlin was editing a paper that I wrote and she said, Mm -hmm. no book is a panacea right? So no window book, no mirror book is, is all things for all people. And so I was thinking really deeply about, okay, if we don't have these window books, we're not going to have these conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. If
2: we don't have these window books and then support them with additional conversation or with ideas that are new to our cool. students or show our students that just reading a book or just saying, hey, I believe that all people should have access to the bathroom that they, they, they need mm-hmm. to have. We can't just say those things. We have to show them how these are yeah. complicated ideas. And and Caitlin and I believe that, that books can be such an important part of that because they're safe, right? We can talk about the mm-hmm. principal and the teacher and the mom having issues, real problems um, or being real allies. Because they're not us. And so it's easier to critique them or easier to say, Oh, I can see myself there, but when I'm critiquing it, it's a character, it's not me. And so maybe when I start to do that critique, I can think about how I might act differently in the world. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, I think one of the one of the parts of reading the rainbow that I thought really powerfully complemented this point you're making about window books is, um, the point you make about queering texts that aren't necessarily grounded in schematizing LGBTQ life, especially for students who, or especially for, for educators who are working in places where there might be, um, a real threat to them if they were to, if they were to be to, um, for lack of a better word, out in their classrooms about, um, LGBTQ inclusive pedagogy. I'm thinking about the, um, Growing up in the shadow of the "Don't Say Gay" bill in Tennessee, mm-hmm. where were told, well, there, there were efforts in the state legislature to make it illegal to mention queer people um, in public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so you all talk about queering, which you sort of gloss as messing up and complicating uh, heteronormativity in in a wide range of texts, and I'm wondering if. Y'all could talk about that a little bit more and maybe give us an example of how um, how you've seen that done in a classroom. Mm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. One thing we like to, to say is that, you know, we absolutely know that everyone is in a different context, right? Every classroom is its own little world, every school, every district. Um, and even though there are powerful things that unite us that shape, um, you know, like Jill said, the national policies and those kinds of things. Um, there's still a whole lot of range about what teachers are comfortable talking about, what they are allowed to talk about legally um, and other issues like that. And so we really respect the kinds of forces that teachers are navigating, right? Um, But we don't want those forces to ever stop us trying to serve our LGBTQ students and families better or to serve all students so that the world gets better for LGBTQ um, children and families. So okay. we were kind of thinking through how do we balance that and, and what we tend to say is we wanna talk not about what you can't do, but what you can do. And so can we charge everyone to say that this is, a, this is work that we all need to be a part of, much like other kinds of anti-oppressive work, we all need to find our, our role in it. And even what you can do or what you're comfortable doing doesn't look like, what someone down the hall can do, or what someone across the state can do or someone across the country can do? What is it that you can do? And so thinking in that way kind of led us to, well, what are the sort of tools that as teacher educators and as um, that we can provide to to people who are in the classroom, to teachers who are still in the classroom? And so we thought about how the heterosexual matrix works, right, this idea that, we have these categories that are interlocking. And so if you, if you think about it, um, like sort of a stereotypical example, is if there's a boy who's maybe five years old and he's dancing around and he's wearing sparkly clothes and um, he's doing other things that are generally considered feminine, the stereotypical response is, oh, he's probably gay. Right, which is so interesting because there's nothing about sexuality in that. There's no he doesn't want to kiss another boy. He doesn't want it. Right, it's not it's not about sexuality. But in his gender his gender performance and his gender expression, we're starting to see that it leads to that interlocking category of sexuality. Right. So we yeah. in our um, sort of Western society we assume that bodies are born male or female. And we know that's not true. That's not the full complexity at all. Um, and that then those bodies that are born sort of male or female then act masculine or feminine, and then they desire the opposite category in the sort of heterosexual relationship, right? So we have this interlocking idea of bodies and gender and desire or sexuality. And so we thought, well, what if we messed with one of those categories? Could it make space in another category since they're also interwoven? And that's where this idea kind of came from. I don't know, Jill, if you wanna talk more about that or give an example, but.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, one thing I love that Caitlin says, just imagine, like, imagine the heterosexual matrix like a Jenga game, right? So if you pull on one, everything else collapses. And so I think it's a, it's, it's all a metaphor, but I think that one really sticks with me. But um, we both of us love Jacqueline, who doesn't love Jacqueline Woodson. Um, she's such a great author, and we've used her books a, a, in a lot of ways with students. Um, one that we love and have written about a lot um, is The Other Side, which is a, um, a story about, really it's a story about race. Um, two little girls live next door to each other, and um, one is white and one is black, and their mamas tell them that they can't play with the other. Something that I, I always find interesting, I heard her talk about this book once, and she was like, yeah, I wrote it as a contemporary book, but if you look at the picture, the illustrator absolutely wrote it as a book from like the 1950s, which is which is fast. It's like a fascinating commentary on race. But um, the other piece of it that I think is really interesting is that these are two girls who have desire, right? Mm. They have desire to be friends with each other. They have desire to be near each other's bodies. And um, I mean, if you think about, um, you know, when does it stop being okay for girls and little girls and little boys to hold hands with each other? It's when we start to think of them as Mm. not little anymore. So, Um, reading this book with Rose's class with her fourth and fifth graders was was really fascinating there's a page in the book where the girls are on the sidewalk with their moms walking and the line well the little girl is asking Clover is asking her mom why can't we be friends basically I don't have it in front of me I can't remember the exact question but the mom says well that's just the way it's always been And so when um, I was reading this with these fourth and fifth graders, we stopped. And this is also something Marie's done with her with her class. And we stopped and said, uh, well, what are some other ways that have always just been? What are some things that we just think we know? And Hmm. so it can lead into a conversation. You don't know what it's going to lead to. But if you're in a classroom where as a teacher, you've been doing lots of work around surely racism, but also sexism also homophobia also transphobia you know well it wasn't always that two girls could get married or two boys could get married huh what happens when things get messed up what are ways that we just do people still think that that's the way things should be do they not think that's the way things should be and then what happens if you're told that there's a way that you should be but you don't feel like that's who you are and so not a um not a direct conversation about that. Certainly, uh, I mean, when we we wrote a paper about this a couple of, a long time ago now, a couple of years ago now, I think it's 2013, but I heard Caitlin said, I'm not going to make these little girls gay, right? Like that's not our work here. Our work is to really see what um, these sort of global experiences of not fitting into a box feel like, Mm -hmm. right? So this idea that, race should not determine if you can be friends or not and certainly there's lots of power and lots of all kinds of stuff circulating around who gets to choose to you know cross the barrier first and all of those things but you can see parallels with with gender with sexual orientation right like so mm. um, so having those conversations that are open and even if you never address that issue of sexuality, when you're reading a book like The Other Side with your students. Mm -hmm. Showing kids that there are multiple opportunities to be in the world, to be in different ways. The kid who's sitting in your class who feels different might have the opportunity to think, oh, Mm -hmm. just because it's always been that way doesn't mean it has to continue to be that way or doesn't mean that it's that way for me. And so that's, I mean, that's a, a picture book that I mean we believe that picture books should be read all the way through the university, but but that's a picture book that um, invite it's you know it's a deceptively short book. It can invite long conversations that help um, students understand sort of think about categories in different ways. And that's you know so what Judith Butler wants us to do in Gender Trouble, right, is to think about categories in new ways. And so. Um, I love it when a picture book makes Judith Butler really accessible. So. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's almost like, just because we can't speak about LGBTQ people, doesn't mean we can't speak about LGBTQ experiences, right? And so I think that's the the idea, because this can be a little bit challenging for teachers sometimes when they they think about, well, you know, where do I find those moments to talk about? What do I look for? If I'm not looking for a character with two moms, right? Which, like then, what am I looking for? And that's what we try to point out is, you know, what are the kinds of experiences about not fitting in the kinds of experiences about having um, a body that is like, quote unquote, wrong, right? That isn't working. So that's one thing we t- do is talk about Kate DiCamillo's like the tales of Despero,
0: mm-hmm. um,
3: where like, he's the wrong kind of mouse. He's not scurrying, right? His mother is so disappointed in him. He's not acting like other mice do. He just wants to like see beautiful things. And then he falls in love with a princess, which is human princess, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, human princess, right. Mice are supposed to fall in love with other mice, not with humans. And so you're getting those experiences and you're expanding kids' ways of thinking about who fits, who doesn't, what do we do when someone doesn't fit, even if you're not naming LGBTQ people. And it doesn't mean that it does the same kind of work, right, I think we, we're pretty clear in, in the book and in other things we've written that these, um, all of these approaches have affordances and constraints. Um, and so it's not to say that like great, that's good as long as you have one lesson about sometimes people don't fit in, but we should be nice to them. Okay, book closed. Like that's that's not going to change the world for queer people, right? Um, yeah. But can you use those little moments over time to to build students' understandings about power and about categories and about identities that maybe can start to accumulate into some real change? Do, 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 do.